Hey guys, my name is Sagan and I'm an addict. Hi, I'm Chris and I'm an addict. And welcome to Recovery on the Real. Um, as you just heard, we've got Chris in the pod today. I've been super, super excited to have her in to tell her story. I've not gotten to hear it yet, so this is a really exciting moment for me. <laughs> um, this is just, I mean, even though I haven't heard your story, you're so well known in the community and I don't know how that happened, to be honest with you. I, I mean, like, it seems like just a f- few days ago, I was introducing myself to the Tulsa community, and it's now, I don't know, they know my name. Yeah, everybody knows your name. Everybody knows who you are. And, you know, for somebody as as new in recovery as me, you know, I feel like that's just huge because you're one of the women that I look up to for sure. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. So we're here to listen to Chris's story. Um, Chris, if you just want to go ahead and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and then we'll kind of go from there. Sounds good. So let's see. Um, again, I'm Chris. I'm an addict. Uh, so just, you know, I'll give you a little backdrop. Um, born and raised in Staten Island, New York. Uh, I'm Irish Catholic. Uh, I had no idea. Yeah, I'm Irish Catholic. <laughs> And back in the day, I walked with the dinosaurs. That's how old I am. But back in the day, um, the family would all get together. You know, they'd come from all different parts of New York. And my house would be the landing place. And uh, it was just a party, you know. Um, My dad was an alcoholic. My mom was an alcoholic. Except back in those days, uh, I'm talking about probably the late 60s early 70s possibly uh you know that wasn't talked about alcoholism just uh it just wasn't talked about and I'm not sure why and I'm not sure when it started being talked about but uh so anyway I'm the youngest of five um I was a very late in life child with my mom and my dad the others were uh it seemed like they had already lived their life and you know they were off doing their own things by so um I'll tell you, I was a very, uh, I guess if I had to explain it, I was a very, very sad, lonely little girl. You know, um, as far back as I can remember, uh, I didn't have very many friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Now in high school, that that changed a lot. But um, so, you know, in my younger childhood, there was some trauma that happened. I was um, molested by a family member in one of those parties. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a phrase, and I don't hear it nowadays, and I'm really glad about that. It was called kissing cousins. Have you ever heard of that? I have. Okay, so um, this particular cousin and I were known as, oh, look, it's the kissing cousins. So, um, and they, 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 it was like they were happy to see us like that. So during the course, the course of that, uh, you know, he'd take me down the basement and you know, make me do things thinking, hey, we're kissing cousins. It's, you know, it's cool. Right. And uh, I don't ever remember him saying, don't tell your mom and dad or, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't ever remember that. So, um, but I never did tell anybody. Yeah. And, uh, but I felt like when I came up from the basement and we were seen together again, it was like, aren't they cute? Look how young they are. You know what I mean? It was like, I felt in my mind somewhere that they were reinforcing the behavior that happened in the basement. Yeah. So uh, from that moment on, I think that's where my life and my uh, personal, I don't want to say story, but beliefs, I guess, came from that basement. Yeah. You know? And um, 
I remember him getting pleasure. Of course, I didn't know these words back then. Right. I'm six years old. Yeah. Um, I remember him getting pleasure. Uh, so I always, uh, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Always. Right? Yeah. So I, looking back at it, I always associated pleasure with sex. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, that led into a very promiscuous life. But I also don't want to leave out a very important detail was um, when I was ten and a half, my mom died. Wow. Okay. Yeah. She had some sort of cancer. Again, it wasn't talked about. Things back then, guys, um, they just didn't talk about a lot of stuff. Yeah. It was, I don't know if it was swept under the carpet or they were just ignorant to it. Yeah. You know, uh, things like, you know, the isms, the drug addictions, the sexual abuse, yeah. abuse. They didn't even talk about death. You know, yeah. like I wasn't prepared for, uh, any of the stuff that happened to me in the basement, but I wasn't even prepared for my mom's death, right? It was like this unspoken, let's keep the baby in the dark thing. Yeah. Because I was the baby. Yeah, I honestly feel like kind of my generation, um, and I know this this is still going on in many families, but I kind of feel like my generation was probably the last generation for that to be the case mm -hmm. because I remember growing up with that too. Yeah, it was kind of like, let's keep them in the door. Yeah, like everybody knew it was happening, but nobody talked about it. Right, blind eye. Yeah, don't talk about it, don't, yeah, bring I it I guess up. that's where ignorance is bliss comes from, yeah. right? If they're ignorant, they, they, they don't know about it. But once they know about it, then it brings on a different light. Right, then they have a responsibility then, yeah. Right. So uh, that left me with my dad. Like I said, I was a late in life child. So my dad was, my parents were older than everybody else anyway. Everybody else's parents, right? There's another thing to put in the bucket of I don't fit in. Uh, you know, my parents aren't the same as everybody else's parents, right? Um, so then when my mom died, again, death wasn't spoke about. And the very first drink I took at the age of 10 and a half was vodka, and it was a blackout drunk. Um, I did it with my older brother, uh, and uh, I won't talk a lot about my brothers and sisters except... For one, my sister, who um, she was an amazing woman later on in my life. So, uh, yeah, so every drunk, every drink I ever took after that turned into a blackout drunk, right? Right. Because I didn't have to feel anything, right? Yep. Feelings, uh, and again, at that age, I didn't know what feelings were. Right. You didn't understand what was happening. You right. just knew. Yeah. Right. And so here I am. I have this older man as my father, and I'm going to be honest with you. When my mom died, he might as well have died with her. Like that was that that fairy tale love. You know what I mean? Yep. Like I have a, a one memory of my dad. Uh, Sunday nights were a big thing in my house. You know, bath time, getting ready for the week. And I remember that my mom would clean my ears, which mm -hmm. I just love when somebody did that, right? Especially her. And then my dad would paint her toenails. It was just, and maybe that memory is not even real. Maybe I just brought that up. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. Because um, there's a lot of memories in there that are in there. Yeah. You know, dark down in the bottom of mm -hmm. a barrel that uh, maybe I'll see and maybe I won't, you know. So um, <clears throat> what's he going to do with me? You know, he's a drunk now, like full time, go to the bar every day. And, you know, um, even back in those days, everybody knew my name in his bar. Because I'd have to come and get him. Yeah. You know. Um, fortunately, you know, um, it was close to the house. So uh, 
you know, the story goes on from there. You know, the only way he knew what to do with me was to give me money and be my best friend. There were no, uh, I guess today we call it uh, parenting out of guilt. You know, it's got a name, right? Yeah. Uh, again, you know, by now, you know, I'm growing into those uh, teenage years, you know. And I, I will say that so much was in the dark back then. When I got my period, I didn't even know what it was. Right. You know, yeah. that's that's hard to admit, but it's part of my story, mm-hmm. you know. Um so moving into my teenage years, you know, here's the deal. You know, I remember somewhere in my brain somebody saying, you are who you hang out with. Yeah. And that never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I seemed to, um, in high school, it was like I gravitated to people who were like me because, like, now I'm a full-time drunk. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I didn't really go to school in high school. I just, like, for the first day, just to see who the teachers were, you know. And then... Here I am. I'm, we're all all of the flunkies, or you know, the hippies, or whatever you want to call us. We um, gravitated together, yeah. you know, and and they became my family, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm looking for family by now, right? I know that my life is missing a lot of people, right? Because I remember uh, there being a lot of people at my house at one point in time, and there stood the house. Lonely and empty because we sold it. And there's my dad. So it was very uh, sad in my life. Yeah. You know? Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, thanks to the re- recovery program I'm in, uh, I've learned these things. You know, I keep saying hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, ignorance. Back then I didn't know what was happening, but now it has a title. And now I, and now I can either accept responsibility for what my part of the street was or realize that I am not responsible for their part of the street. Right. Which is super important. Yeah, very important. That's a really fine line to toe, yeah. too. Because everything, I think really what it is, is that everything gets so blurred together. Absolutely. It's, uh, it is a fine line. As a matter of fact, at the recovery meeting I was at today, this, kind of, this topic kind of was talked about. Yeah. You know, and um, being an addict... I can't speak for normal people, but I can speak for addicts. Um, being an addict, our whole life is blurred. Yes. There have been no lines. Yep. No right? boundaries, no lines, right. no, nothing. Yeah. So um, so how do we know? We know going through the process. We know peeling off the layers. That was another thing. You know, um, Each layer you pull off, it's like an onion. Um, there's so many different cliches around. You know, you just Some of them you grab onto and some of them you let go. So, you know, teenage years, I have to say, um, and I'm not romanticizing using drugs or, you know, alcohol, but I, I, I'm going to say this because I think it's important. Things back then were super simple, you know. Yeah. Hey, let's go drink a six-pack, you know, and, and do some, I won't, I won't clarify what drugs they are because it, you know, do this, and if I have a problem with you, we'll just either fist fight it out or get drunk over it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that was it. You know, we're not going to whip out guns and and shoot each other. You know, it was uh, it was just uncomplicated, and uh, I hate to say fun, but it was fun. I mean, it's it. That's the thing. We don't want to, you know, glamorize it or anything like that. But if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't have done it. That's right. That's right. Um, and it was just fun. Yeah. You know, until there comes a point to where it's not fun anymore. Hundred percent. Right? 
100%. So, you know, here's the deal. I, uh, having had so many broken relationships um, in the past, I wasn't very good at forming relationships, especially romantic relationships, because I really didn't know what they were, right? Right. I know if I take them to the basement, it's going to work, right? right? Yeah. And uh, so, so there's that little girl... Uh, in a big girl's body, doing what she did in the basement, right? It makes people happy, makes them, gives them pleasure. But I gotta, I gotta have some kind of stimulant to do that, right? So that's where it stops being fun. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I can honestly say, I never took currency for the things that I did, and I say currency because I did take, I did sell myself. To get drugs. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I <laughs> intimate relationships were never my gig. So I uh, met a guy, which is really the theme of my life. You know, I met Same. a guy. Same. I met a guy. <laughs> you know, um, it's funny because so many of us females out there relate to I met a, I met a guy. Yeah. You know, just as for the for the males out there, they met a girl, mm -hmm. right? Um, our stories are sim you know, similar. So uh, I met a guy, and <laughs> you know, I knew him for like two weeks. And I'll be honest, I really didn't even like him. You know, but we would. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I didn't like him. I, I saw all of his defects. You know, but we we drank together and we got drunk every night. And he had a paycheck, yep. and he had a he was a marine, so he had some. You know, he was kind of built and buff, and and uh, he showed an interest. Mm -hmm. He liked the little girl from the basement. You know. Yeah. Uh, so his best friend said, "Hey, let's. You know, will you come and stand up for us while we get married?" And this was in uh, Reno, Nevada. And uh, sure, sure. So we all got so drunk on the way up there, just. So drunk, and you know, I laugh about it. You know, it's kind of like a joke when I tell my story that we were so drunk we don't know who married who, you know. Yeah, and back in those days, they didn't have videotapes, they just did audio tapes. And if you'd listen to the audio tape of us getting married, you it would just it would crack you up, you know <laughs> what I mean? So, so anyway, two weeks in, marry a guy I don't like, I'm Totally wasted, you know, on, on drinking. and uh, But it lasts 10 years, and it gives me three beautiful kids, right? Mm -hmm. So it must there must have been a little bit of love somewhere, right? you know. Um, but I, I got to tell you, uh, that, that little girl that I talk about a lot, she was just dying to get out again, mm -hmm. you know. She didn't, it, I was a great mom. I was a semi-great wife, I guess. I never cheated on my husband uh, unless you call going out and getting a blackout. So maybe I did. Right. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. So if there's anybody out there that knows me, I apologize now. <laughs> right. I don't remember your name. Uh, you know, I can laugh about that now. But, you Thank know. Thank God. Yeah. So uh, any, anyway, he ended up leaving me for somebody else. And uh, so, you know, there's a lot of trauma in my life. So I think. My vicious cycle of addiction and drugs is based around all the traumas in my life, right? Absolutely. Uh, 
from all the way being six years old. Who knows? Might Something might have could have happened before I was six. I don't have any memories, right? Yeah. Um, so he left me for somebody else, and that just put me on the spinning wheel of addiction all over again. My kids, uh, I couldn't even tell you how old they were at this point. Uh, again, numbers are just a number to me. Mm-hmm. But thank God for my sister, who I mentioned earlier, um, she became their saving grace, right? Because uh, I got divorced in May, and by October I met my relapse. I met my next ex, and uh, mm. I firmly believe that there's a person out there in everybody's life that can bring you to the highest high and your lowest low, whether you're a normal person or you're an addict, Yeah. right? Um, and he was mine. He, uh, our first date, can I be specific on things like she, the way I did it and yeah you can okay. say whatever you want There's say whatever no, I want yeah I don't know you know I don't I never did this before so you know he was the first one that introduced me to the needle you know up until that point you know I, I did a lot of my nose was totally rent from all of the drugs that I did yeah um but it was only in that way you mm-hmm. know uh, but he introduced me to this needle and um that little girl in that attic, no longer was sad. In that basement, was no longer sad. She was ready to go, and um, she took off running. Oh my God! I just got chills when you said that. Cause the same thing happened to me. So yeah, I, yeah. She just took off running, and um, I I know those chills. I have them right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, trauma knows trauma, right? Uh, so, man, this dude he he beat me. I'd never been beat by a man up until this point. At least that I remember. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I did wake up a few times with bruises on me thinking, hmm, where did that come from? Right, right. Um, but he, he was the one. He took me to my highest high and my lowest low. Yeah. Wire coat hangers, you know, I mean, the whole nine. Um, I don't know if this is true or not, but this is a belief of mine. Uh, our family always blames the person we're with. 100%. Right? 100%. So it's his fault. It's, you know... What did he do to you? He turned you into this. You weren't like this. Yes. How could you do this to your kids? 100%. It's his fault. Yep. And uh, you know what? I encouraged them to think it was his fault, right? Because then I didn't have to accept responsibility. Right. Right? I could still blame it on him. And I was very good at that. Mm-hmm. I had, By this time, I had learned how to manipulate like there was no other. Like I was, I felt like I was the queen of manipulation. Oh yeah, and have working some steps over right because on the four step we work some we work over that stuff. Yeah, and what I realized is that that manipulator was back there with my dad forging report cards because I was playing hooky from school. Right, and I was so good at it back then that I got paid for it mm-hmm. with weed or pills or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, so trace it back then. So you know I had all those years to grow. Yep. Uh, so here I am. Um, so my relationship lasted 10 years with him. We did end up getting married. And I do want to say in comparison to the first marriage, I was drunk off my butt with him and this guy, I was whacked out on heroin. Mm -hmm. So that's my, uh, baseline for intimate relationships. Right. Uh, lasted 10 years with uh, relapse or, you know, whatever with him. 
Uh, so many times I tried to get clean. By this time, I, I knew. Uh, I negated to say that I've been through 13 treatment centers. Uh, up, uh, you know, up until 2003 uh, when I got incarcerated. But, you know, I knew that I had a problem, right? It talks about uh, in the step working guide on step one, when did you know you had a problem and when did you do something about that problem? And there's like a gap of so many years in there, right, that I got to get honest about because yeah. this is an honest program, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of years uh, so at, you know, he'd say he's clean. I'd say I was clean and I, I truly was at points. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And at one point we went through this again. Hey, let's do this real. Let's try to get this straightened out. Uh, and we're going to move out of state. You know, we did all of the locational. That was my, you know, uh, that was my go-to, you know, up until when I got married to my first husband, cause I had kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And by that time I had settled into Oklahoma, but I had traveled so many states on a Greyhound bus because I don't laugh, but I didn't learn how to drive until I was 30, right? Okay. Uh, everybody's like laughing at me, you know, or what? Well, in New York, you really don't have to, yeah, right? Yeah, that hundred makes sense. And yeah. then I had become such, so uh, codependent, right, on my husband or whatever, and they, you know, they'd shuffered me around, shuffered yeah. me around. So, it, you know, I didn't learn how to drive until I was 30. And um, that put me into the peak of my, uh, that's when I fell off, you know, is when I learned how to drive, mm-hmm. you know, when I got with this dude. And so anyway, we, you know, spoke about getting clean together. And at this one point I was, and uh, he lied to me and he wasn't. And we were doing uh, some dope and he ended up, Having a, we were in bed, and he ended up having a massive heart attack stroke in my arms. Wow. Um, I'm whacked, mm-hmm. right? Whacked. Yeah. Way whacked. And uh, so I start, you know, doing what my version of CPR was, and what it ha- what what it had happened was I ended up uh, breathing air into his lungs, but not his brain. By the time the ambulance got there, now now, I'm whacked. I got I'm naked. I got dope over here, and I got dope over here, and I got a dead guy in my bed, and I'm trying to reset. It was just all so much. Yeah, so much. I got the ambulance people are fixing to come. I got to find something to put on. I, I'm remembering, right? So when they get there, you know, they take him to the hospital. They wouldn't let me ride with him because by this point now we're divorced. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm not his next of kin. Um, get him to the hospital uh he dies like three times in the ambulance right so all this time his heart is getting stimulated but his brain is not right okay yeah so um his family gets notified and his sister blamed me just like my sister blamed him yeah right yeah so she whooped my butt she got me and she took a whoop into me and had me banned from the hospital. So uh, there's there's that heavy, heavy trauma, right? Yeah. And so what did I have to go back to? My sister's given up on me. He, you know, I have this apartment and a room full of dope, mm-hmm. right? And by this time, I'm so codependent, I don't even know how to hit myself, yeah. right? So there goes this whole new Chris. She comes out and... And uh, now I'm learning how to do the whole method 
of cooking methamphetamine, you know, purchasing all the stuff that you need to get, the game of making and manufacturing methamphetamine. Yeah. That goes on until 2003. I can't tell you how many times I went to county jail. I can't tell you how many times uh, I got in county jail and said, I'm never going to do this again. Mm -hmm. uh, and every time I got out, I did it again. Yeah. End up right back where I was, but worse. Always worse. Always worse. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, hindsight again is 2020. I would have done things so many differently ways. Uh, I ended up hanging out with some people and she wanted to learn and I started showing her how to do it. Um, we got ran in by the police. They came and she had kids and she had a handicapped child. So she turned, you know, and yeah. I was really mad about it. She got five years and I got 25. Oh my God. Right. Super angry. Uh, super angry. Yeah. For a lot of years. Um, ended up going to the Department of Corrections, uh, probably, I don't know, I got picked up in 2003 in Oklahoma County, which became my clean date, which I haven't mentioned. Um, they picked me up sometime early, no uh, early November, uh, but I slept for like three days. So November 6, 2003 is my clean date. Um, just past 19 years. Woohoo! I yeah. know. That's so, I can't um, even. I'm tripping. You know, I'm, I'm straight tripping over that. I just, that's so, that, when I hear that, I'm just like, sometimes I just feel like it's so unachievable. Right. I, you know, and, and I understand that because like, I didn't really count my time in the penitentiary. I did six years on that. It was 15 in and fifth and 10 out. I did six on the 15 and I ended up doing just a few years I had a GPS on my on my leg, so I did just a few years on the outside. Um, but every day, every year, I, it it just seemed like it didn't matter when I was locked up. You know, uh, when I got out of the penitentiary, things were different. I had a relationship with my sister, although there was a guy that I met when I was in the penitentiary at church. Um, he was in the penitentiary too, but you know, he was the love of my life. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> My family's just going to love him. And what had happened, though, is like in the process of building that relationship with my sister, I kind of reverted to the old bring a man around, right? So mm -hmm. my family kind of took a back seat again, uh, kind of broke my sister's heart, broke my kids' heart, you know, and they just see that part and they're like, oh, here she is again, you know, same old, same old. Yep. And that broke my heart. Yep. Right? Because I knew what I was doing at that point, right? I knew that I was putting him before my family and I still did it, Yeah. right? So whatever's done in the dark always comes to the light. Absolutely. He ended up being the worst thing possibly for me. I did not relapse over it, um, but I came close. You know, the whole time I'm fighting to keep this relationship alive when I should have been fighting for my family. I'm fighting for him and he's doing the most behind my back. Right. Right, but I have to ask myself, was it really behind my back, or did I turn a blind eye? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You get that? Absolutely. Because uh, sometimes you just deep down you know. No, you can't. Once you know, you can't unknow. Yep. Right. You know that you know that you know. 
So, of course, um, that was in Oklahoma City. I got out and went back to my train, my, my stomping grounds. Uh, didn't work out. Gave him an ultimatum. When you give a drug addict, it's either me or the drugs, what happens? <laughs> drugs. Drugs. <laughs> Every time. I used to do that. Oh, I used to do that. And then, you know, I, I became that person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and I and I... I gave it to him that way, so I didn't really have to take responsibility for breaking up with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, it became all his fault. Mm-hmm. Right? So anyway, I moved to Tulsa, uh, got a fresh start, um, went through a prison ministry program up here. Uh, I'll leave it nameless, but it saved my... It's besides the recovery program that I'm in, this prison ministry saved my life. Um, they... Uh, they reinserted me into the community because you know yeah the penitentiary after so many years or even after two months you you need a new community it was faith-based um they taught me how to uh do a lot of things they taught me how to socialize they taught me how to have a conversation you know normal stuff that you normally don't have to be taught right you know um they took care of everything you know in this program the way it worked was you had to work um and half of your pay, no, all of your pay, I'm sorry, went into a savings account. So you got out, you have, you had bank. And uh, the program actually, uh, when you got out, you got to take everything in the apartment with you. So so they re- reintegrated me. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah. They reintegrated me into society. And I got out, and that's when I hit the rooms, um, the repro- you know, the program. Um, when I first pulled up, I was like, do I really belong here? You know, that's the diseased person in me. Because now I got some abstinence, right? Right. Um, they say abstinence uh, doesn't account for recovery, but I believe that it does. Mm-hmm. I believe that once you remove all the drugs from your system, once you're detoxed from it, that leaves a big empty hole for the recovery to come in if you choose it. Right. Right. If you build it, they will come. That's mm-hmm. what always makes me... So um, I entered the rooms uh, of the recovery program in like 2007, and my life changed over. It was like a, such a beautiful change. You know, uh, we have sayings, we'll love you till you can love yourself, keep coming back. You know, all the, the sayings that the 12-step programs, uh, they used to bother me when I was in treatment, but I, I hung on to them, and a lot of times they saved my life. Yeah. And again, they're saving me a life, saving my life right now today. Uh, say you know the sayings. So, um, I walked in, and that was the last day that I was ever alone again. We have a saying: "It's never alone, never again." Yeah. And um, man, it was true. Even when I want to be alone, I can't be. Mm-hmm. You know. And they also say. Um, you never have to use again if you, even when you don't want to. Yeah. Right. And um, that was such a freedom. You know, working through the steps, uh, it taught me the things that I should have learned when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11, you know, all the way through my life to where, you know, because by that time I was in my 40s. Yeah. Um, if you put the numbers together, I turned 62 yesterday. Oh my God. You. 
I know. You do not look like that at all. Oh, really? Oh, my God. I look older? No. <laughs> That's your choice. You uh, to do I there. just feed me some more. Give me some more. No, you look amazing. Thank you. You Thank look you. amazing. I'd like to say it's because I took care of myself, but I didn't. <laughs> right? right? Oh, you know, I, I had this beautiful skin regimen that I did, but I didn't. You know? I didn't even know how to shower right until I got clean. Right? Girl, preach it. <laughs> So here we're, you know, I'm making, I'm passing milestones. I got 19 years clean. I turned 62 years old. Yay. Never thought I'd do either one of them. Thought I'd be dead by the age of 48, 39, right. if you use the addiction in there, right? Right. Uh, but milestones are being made as well as being passed. Um, I have a relationship with my three beautiful kids who have produced four grand. Five grandkids. Oh, my God. Uh, actually, six, but we lost one. Uh, she was 24 hours old. Mm. And um, uh, it has, it. let me tell you, I told you I'd talk about the sister that saved my life. Yeah. She believed in me when nobody else does. I pray that everybody out there has somebody that's in their corner praying for them when they don't know it, uh, normal or not. Yeah. Right? Um, my sister prayed for my life to change and prayed and prayed. It got so bad with my sister. I'm going to backtrack for just a yeah, second if that's okay. Um, my sister was raising my kids. And uh, I was in the... I was in it thick. Uh, and that's when I'm just going to say it. Food stamps were paper. You know, you yep. got them in the mail. Uh, and so at that point I was getting food stamp. No, I wasn't. My kids were getting food stamps. Uh, a child support check. Back then, we had welfare checks. I don't know if they even have all this stuff. Which, that all belonged to my sister. Mm -hmm. She's raised my kids. Well, it got so bad, I was robbing the mailbox every first of the month or whatever day it was. Yeah. And it got so bad, she just took the mailbox in and had her mail held at the post office. She changed the locks on the door. The only thing she didn't change was the phone number. And uh, I broke a heart over and over and over again. You know, it's full of sorries. I'll never do it again. You know, um, she heard it all. But she still was in my corner. Yeah. Um, she got to see me living clean. She got to see me pick up some numbers. Uh, she passed away. The biggest thing, I think the biggest thing, recovery, the biggest gift it's given me was uh, I got to be with my sister when she got diagnosed with cancer and I became her uh, caretaker, yeah. giver, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and I took her through the whole process right up to the day she died. And yeah. I was with her laying in the bed at the emergency room, uh, at the ICU unit when she passed. That's such a that's such a beautiful thing to be able to do to give back to somebody. I'm telling you, um, you know, not only I don't just say it, it was not only good for her, but it it changed the person that I was again. You know, recovery changed me and it continues to change me. But what that situation did, and that was many years, it was from two thousand and 15 to two well it's two years 2017 and um that situation changed me for life 
you know, in a different way. Absolutely, In a yeah. different way than the, the recovery program. And I will mention, I'll, I'll talk about um, addicts on medication. I have had six back surgeries. I got, was working in mental health, and I got attacked by a client and um, from behind. And that ensued in six back surgeries. I had a whole bunch of metal in my back. I went septic from it. Um, check it out. I'm that one person that if it can go wrong, <laughs> it will go wrong. Yeah. If it's a one in a million shot of being a medical, you know, whatever, that's going to be me. Yeah. And so, it, and that continues six surgeries. I've been on every pain medication that you can possibly do. Just a heads up for addicts that are out there. Don't be a martyr. Always listen to your pain, but keep a log of how you take it, when you take it, and who's giving it to you. Yeah. And do a pill count uh, at the ever, you know, uh, just take care of yourself. Don't not take care of yourself. And not taking care of yourself means if you're in pain and you don't take pain medicine, you're not taking care of yourself. Yeah. That's the biggest uh, push I can say for medication. Do it. Unless you're doing it to get high, don't do it. Yeah. Right? Once the medication, uh, you'll know when it's time to stop taking medication. So I uh, wanted to touch on that because that also happened at the same time I was taking care of my sister. So I had my trauma, her trauma. My son was living with us who became an addict way before he introduced himself as an addict. Right? right? 2010, he gave me my 10-year medallion. And that's when the first time I ever heard him introduce himself as an addict. Um, so I got him stealing all the medication. I got me taking care of my sister. Me take crazy time in my life. Uh, but I didn't get high. Yeah. And that's because I stayed connected. I went to meetings. I prayed and meditated. I did my step work. Not by myself. Yeah. Always do step work with a sponsor, mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't pick up, right? If I Doing all that stuff kept me clean. Yeah. Especially the going to meetings part. I don't even know if I mentioned that. Um, check it out. We're all over the world. We're in places that you wouldn't even think we were. We're there. We're everywhere. Everywhere. Right. You can't get away from us. No. <laughs> uh, you can find us. Um I guarantee you, if you don't know where one is at, somebody you know, somebody they knows, it goes down the line, right? We'll get you there. Yeah. You know? Um, so, uh, you know, I moved back to Tulsa after my sister passed because it was really, uh, that death took me hard. I, I, I just, uh, like I said, I didn't get high, but it, like I miss her still. Tomorrow's her birthday. Um, you guys are only a couple of days apart. Yeah, two days apart. Um, what we did is usually on our birthdays, we'd go together and we'd go to the casinos. We'd work our way, like if we went in Oklahoma City, we'd work our way west. If we were, you know, if she was coming to me, we'd work our way, you know, the other way. And yeah. That's how we did our birthdays. And, you know, uh, I miss my my conversations with her. You know, we talked at least 20 times a day. That's kind of excessive, but... 
we always had something to say. Yeah. You know, yeah. we'd call each other. Hey, you know, hey, I, whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, I miss my morning coffee with her. You know, there's just things that I miss. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but I don't have to get high over it. That's right. Uh, I moved back to Tulsa and I kind of picked off, picked up, you know, oh, here's something funny. Here's a, here's a good one. So my son is also, oh, the son, look at me, I'm all over the place. All right. <laughs> so because now I'm getting into this recovery thing and I'm like, oh, this is where the passion is. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. So let me tell him this. Or, oh, wait, I got to, it's like I'm chasing squirrels all over again. Uh, my son that I, I talked about just a minute ago, he's also in the program of recovery mm-hmm. and he's coming up on five years clean in oh, february wow, that's awesome yeah and uh thanks to the program in my life so many years ago he watched it working in my life and now here's what the deal is uh his kids never have to see him high again yeah right so it's it's changing things for the generations to come absolutely right it is, yeah I, it changed my life in turn it changed his life in turn it, you know what i mean it's yeah. just crazy it's a ripple effect yeah, yeah. the ripple effect and it's it's so amazing and it's so awesome and <laughs> like so uh when he moved he he got in in recovery and it was funny because you know I would introduce him to everybody or he he would get introduced and he'd they'd say oh you're Chris K's kid you know <laughs> and uh he heard that for the first probably 3 years of his recovery I'm right? sure oh my gosh it was like when I when Betty, my sister, would say, uh, she's my kid's sister. And then people started saying, oh, you're Betty's sister, right? <laughs> yeah, so aggravating. So yeah. now he's going, he was going through it. And somewhere in the course of the last two years, I became, hey, you're Jesse K's mom, ain't you? <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's refreshing, though. You know, bring it to current things in my life. Uh, I'm in a great, loving environment with my people. Uh, I have a great roommate. I just moved in with him. Uh, I can work. What here's cool, what the recovery program has done for me is it has taught me to have relationships, intimate relationships. Doesn't mean I'm having sex with you. 100%. It means that I love you and you love me. Yep. Right? Yeah. And uh, he loves me and I love him and... We live on two separate sides of the house, and we just get along, and, and he loves my fur babies, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's really important. You know, they're my babies, and uh, no, uh, I love everybody, you know. I have genuine love for you. Um, I'm so happy that you asked me to be here because um, I feel uh, I feel that like I still have something to give. Absolutely, you, right? Of course, yes. And you know, my disease wants me to think that I don't. Yep. Right. It was telling me, oh, just you know, just call it a day, get out of it. You had some kind of crisis, you know. Um, I did have some crises this morning that you know the old me would have took advantage of. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, screw you, old me. I'm going. Yeah. You know, I got something to say, <laughs> and. Uh, you know, uh, and I do, and what it is, is uh, if you're out there and you're struggling, reach out. Because like I said, if you don't know anybody, somebody, you know somebody. And uh, once you pick up the phone, which will be 500 pounds, you'll never be alone again, right? 
Never again. Right? Yeah. Right. So, um, I think about covered it all. I think you have um, too. I just, I found so many similarities that I wasn't really expecting in our stories. And it just made me feel, I don't want to say, you know, validated, but like, but like it, it made me feel a little bit more like, you know, somebody with 19 years and somebody with, you know, almost nine months. I'm getting ready to cry. I don't know why. <laughs> um, we still have, there's still so many similarities between, you know, all of us. All of us. And they, that's why they always say, tell you to look for the similarities and not the, not differences. the differences. Because when it really comes down to it, the differences Doesn't aren't really anywhere matter. near the similarities. Yeah. So And uh, the differences don't really matter anymore. No, not at all. You know what I mean? Um, and that's, I'm really happy that you said that because, you know... 19 years, I kind of feel like a dinosaur. You know what I mean? Uh, but what happened is I continued to go to meetings, right? Right. Over those 19 years, I can tell you since I walked into the rooms of the recovery, I probably isn't, I can't tell you that I've, I can't say I've gone more than a week without recovery. And that's because I was having surgery or right. something, right? Something important. But um, had I not come to the meetings and just showed up to get my my medallion not only would I not I not know what's going on but it takes away from you yeah by me not showing up takes away from you yeah so um if you're out there and you have lots of years come back we need to see you yeah because this is a program of recovery and we want it we want to have that ripple effect we want to keep going yeah right because the doors have to be open if nobody opened the door for me, where would my son be? Where would you be? So let's keep the doors open. Always. Let's talk about recovery. Let's talk about mental health. Let's get it out there. Yeah. You know? We recover out loud. That's right. Uh, whatever's done in the dark will always come to the light. Your disease wants to keep you in the dark. Come out. Come to the light. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. I just, wow, I I know you guys can't see, but like I'm, I'm like trying to wipe tears back here. Um, yeah, that was that was really amazing, and I'm so I'm so happy. I'm so honored that you you gave your time today to come and be on you know my podcast. Um, this is something that I've I've. This is my my child right now, you know. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of getting it up on its feet, and to have somebody um, like you and you know the other people that I've had on here also, it's just it really makes me feel like we can reach somebody, even Abs if it's just one person. Absolutely, absolutely. Let this podcast get the ripple effect. Yeah, I'm stuck on ripple effect. I like that. It's good, right? Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminded me the first time. I'm kind of getting off track, but the when I, with my first baby, the very first time I felt a little little thing in there, it reminded me of way that little ripple thing. Yeah, I don't know. They're just <laughs> if y'all know me, I just you know I get kind of a little weirdo or something. And if you don't know her, you should. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you again for listening. I want to thank Chris again for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Peace out, guys. <laughs> and I uh, also want to thank Dougie really quick for letting us use his office. Shout out to Doug. We love you. 
Um, and just remember, you never have to use again, no matter what. Even if you don't. Even if you want to. Even if you want to. Love you guys. Bye. Love you.